we found that there is uh, sometimes lack of consistent e investment in innovation and also being more open about failure, right? How do you fail but learn fast and use that learning to continue to improve? Dr. Latte Lawson Latergo is not afraid to get vulnerable and share his biggest failures because he sees failure for what it is, a learning opportunity. Innovation at its core is trying new things and learning if they work or if they don't. In reality, innovation isn't possible without failure, yet people still get really uncomfortable talking about it. In his role as the Chief Innovation Officer at Oxfam, Latte has brought those conversations to the forefront. His job is to build a thriving innovation culture, but doing it is easier said than done. You also want to avoid this culture of innovation is this shiny magic bullet, no. That's also a culture that we want to demystify, right? It's, it's innovation is ways of thinking, you know, ways of doing, and of course, ways of achieving concrete, tangible results, outcomes, impact at scale. In this episode, Latte will walk us through the career journey that helped him recognize the power of innovation. He'll show us the common issues leaders face in their approach to innovation and how to overcome them. That includes how to get buy-in, how to ensure progress, and how to make sure you fail successfully. Welcome to Future Nonprofit, a podcast about what it will take to build and scale the nonprofit of tomorrow. I'm your host, Ted Vaughn, partner at Historic and author of Culture Built My Brand. Join me as we unpack the stories and lessons of today's most innovative leaders. Since he was young, Latte has had a strong desire to help others, even before he had a clear direction for his own life. This passion led him to expand his worldview at an early age. I grew up in an urban environment city, capital city, Lomé, in Togo, with working class parents. I was exposed at early age to another type of life out of the city because I was uh, volunteering every summer as teenager, you know, in my teenager's years in different uh, rural villages in Togo. Seeing the disparity in his own home motivated him to keep volunteering and continue broadening his perspective. In addition, I was also very active, you know, as a college student and I took on a number of uh, leadership roles my last position was the president of the student Christian uh, movement of Togo. It got me really exposed uh, very quickly. I traveled out of Togo, went to other countries in Africa, in Europe, in uh, Southern America. And this afforded me the opportunity to witness uh, firsthand the inequality between people living in, in rural areas and my lifestyle in, this, in the city. Latte was deeply affected by these experiences. While he was traveling and volunteering and learning, he kept witnessing problems that he wanted to solve. Also in that role, I led uh, the development of you know, proposals. So I have to write grants to fundraise and implement, execute a number of uh, poverty reduction projects at that time when I was a student in Togo, like working on women's small business scheme, water and sanitation, going just uh, helping uh, schools to build the classroom, stuff like that. So I was pretty exposed at early age. 
By now, Latte had gained a wealth of knowledge and experience from the rural-urban divide in his own country, as well as witnessing similar issues around the world. But then, political unrest in Togo gave him an entirely new perspective. Togo calls itself democratic, but it doesn't feel it. It feels more like a monarchy, where the president is there for life. I had to flee Togo for the neighboring countries, Benin. So I was a refugee in my life, and this gave me the experience of living on the edge in a new country without a support network or system. All of these experiences culminated in a passion to continuously learn, try new things, and make change. That passion stuck with him, and after finishing his degree in business and economics, he felt a profound calling to return to the issues he saw earlier in his life. After graduation, I got my first job in rural areas. And then after that, I worked a bit in development in, in the uh, business world. But I was like, I need to go back to do something. So I was, I was pretty lucky, actually, to earn a scholarship, obviously, to my church, which I'm grateful for, to go to the UK to study rural, social, development, agriculture issues. And I did another master degree. So that was like my determination to say, I need to use my uh, academic credentials, but also my exposure, my life exposure, my work experience to really see how I can make a contribution. With his education complete, Latte was eager to start making a positive change in the world and found that one issue in particular was something he was uniquely positioned and passionate about fixing. I went to India as part of my master's degree, and I was exposed to this microcredit concept, uh, which is um, how do you alleviate poverty through economic growth. So it's, it's not really like a charity where it's hand out people, you come and, you know, we will help you. But how do you organize an entrepreneur to have access to financial services so they can grow their business, right? So that was very attractive. So I said, yes, um, you know, I study finance, business, economics, rural, social development, I can combine all those things together. So I was really attracted. So my first real job was with uh, an organization in France at that time called Planet Finance. Microfinancing was a niche that Latte would focus on early in his career. I moved back to West Africa, got my first job with a large uh, humanitarian and development organization, uh, CARE. One problem that the sector was uh, comforted with was a high and very worrisome indebtedness of their customers. Micro and small entrepreneurs, you know, would take multiple loans. Sometimes they will use one loan to offset another. And at, in, here in the U.S., we are seeing debt level of families increasing, but we, we can track it here. At that time, they had, they had no tool to do that, right? There was no registry, any sort of credit bureau for the microfinance sector in Benin at that time when I started. This was Latte's first opportunity to tap into the power of innovation to solve complex problems. While at CARE, I connected back with my previous colleagues at Planet Finance and the sector as a whole to really look at how do we solve these issues, this wicked problem, because it's not good for the sector and it's not good for the people, the entrepreneur themselves. And 
especially in a country where at that time there is no unique identification. Like as we have here in the US, right? We have our social security number, you are tracked. There was nothing like that. So we had to come up with a solution and design the first very context-specific credit bureau for microfinance sector in Benin. So we have to really think outside of the box. You have to be creative. And we found some ways to go around the customer identification issues. Like we use fingerprints of, you know, just photos for people who don't have um, IDs because that's, that was very prominent at that time. And still, it still is a big issue. It became uh, quite a tool for the microfinance sector, not just in Benin, but in West Africa and other countries as well. We were very fortunate to receive the World Bank, uh, they call it Innovation Marketplace Awards. So this was, uh, for me, a seminal moment in my early uh, career. This experience taught Latte the power of innovation and set him on his career trajectory. Today, he is the Chief Innovation Officer at Oxfam, a global nonprofit fighting injustice and poverty. We want to be a broker. We want to bring people together to brainstorm about inequality problem. It can be climate change issues. It can be gender equality issues. It can be um, economic justice issues. So it can be a tool, innovative tool that we can really fine tune. And, and so that's our offer to our colleagues. So we really want to work with them, catalyze this mind, new mindset. So don't be afraid also and give colleagues cover that they need as well, right? Because sometimes it's just in the space. Maybe 80% on your day-to-day job, but spend 20% on innovative things, right? And also provide the resources. So we have unrestricted, flexible resources that we can provide to colleagues up to $100,000 for pay, depending on the stage. Also looking at how do we scale up existing innovation. So right now we are developing a partnership. I won't name them now because it's not official, but there's innovation. I was not even involved but it was developed by my colleagues in Oxfam, Philippines. And in terms of how do you anticipate humanitarian uh, issues? How do you, they call it anticipatory action, but how do you use data, big data, to really predict and enable government to be able to push resources to impoverished communities very quickly before they have a typhoon, right? They tested that in three different provinces. It works so now we are working with them to how do we take it nationally in the Philippines? And then how do we take it to scale in other countries, in Asia or in Africa, etc. So we are here to facilitate, to catalyze, to broker, to help colleagues to learn more about methodologies to innovate and yeah, support them. So it's not me, it's them actually. We, we work for them. They are our bosses. <laughs> I love it. So your metric for success is not your ability to single-handedly lead innovation, but your ability to foment a movement of innovation within the minds and hearts of the leaders of Oxfam. You say it very right, yes. Oxfam is a massive organization, and the way innovation happens today is going to look different than it did in the early phases of his career. Understanding that different organizations will have different pros and cons associated with their ability to innovate is crucial. In your own organization, you have to be self-aware and understand what you're able and not able to do in order to innovate in a safe and successful way. When Latte began his role at Oxfam, he had to evaluate his own motivations and understand the differences and potential issues that he was going to face in this new role. 
one thing that attracted me to to Oxfam is it's also the innovations culture, to be frank, right? Care was equally big. <laughs> I mean, when you look at the two organizations, there are a lot of similarity. Uh, but this entrepreneurial spirit, right? And I, I would say I was also fortunate to have um, bosses, right, who believed in me and what we were doing and gave us the space to, to go experiment. And sometimes we fail, of course. I saw similarity within Oxfam. What I found is it's more like the same culture of people being entrepreneur within or intrapreneur, as you call it, right? Within those organizations, being willing to take risks and being supported by leadership. So I think I saw the same commonality in terms of having this appetite for risk-taking, having leadership to provide cover. You know, sometimes you need that, right? But it's not always rosy. So, you know, as we are standing up this new innovation lab, we found that there is uh, sometimes lack of consistent e- investment in o- innovation and also being more open about failure, right? How do you fail but learn fast and use that learning to continue to improve? So the consistency, the structural culture is not always consistent. So you can see like one department is more innovative, but the other one is more like, okay, old school, right? So those are few things that I, I've, I've seen so far and also the lack of consistent investments in innovation. And the third one is also for people in the front line, my colleagues, like in countries, uh, you know, in Africa or Asia, they don't usually have time. So although people have good ideas, can come up with thinking outside of the box, most of the time they, they don't have the luxury to have the time, the resources, to go innovate. So that, that's something I saw, we saw here when we, we, we did a num- number of interviews to really understand how we can solve some of those issues. Latte also explained many of the issues that other organizations often face. As any other nonprofit, resources are always constraints. We depend on donation. We depend on the market, the small investment we make. So one of my, you know, what keeps me up at, at night is... I'm hoping I'll put it positively, like for leadership to be consistent and say, look, we are just starting, right? Let's not cut it just at this stage where we are just starting. <laughs> because in a crisis within nonprofits, the first thing they cut is innovation, which is very bad. They will cut innovation, they will cut research, you know, R&D. But that's where we should be investing, right? Because we are confronted with complex inequality issues, poverty issues, and we really need to innovate. But that's what leaders most often do, you know. So having a consistent investment and cover from leadership to say, go do it, go figure it out. Barriers like financing are top-level issues. While money matters and it's important to invest in innovative ideas, if you aren't laying a solid foundation, those investments are likely being wasted. Latte is about to walk us through how to set that foundation. But first, let's take a moment to reflect on what we've learned so far. First, innovation is your friend, so don't be afraid of it. There are so many complex issues in the world and with today's speed of change, traditional problem solving isn't going to cut it. 
Latte realized the power of thinking outside the box and not ignoring difficult issues early in his time working in microfinance. Think about the experiences you've had. Where have you seen the power of bold ideas in your career? Second, to have innovative ideas flourish, your first job is to create an environment with the right conditions for those ideas to grow. As Latte explained in his example about the Philippines, he wasn't even involved in the project at its conception. It came as a result of the culture that he worked to develop. And third, to be innovative at an organization, you have to be self-aware and understand where you're at and what you have the ability to do and not do. In Latte's experience, he noticed that Oxfam had a strong entrepreneurial culture and an appetite to try new things. But he also saw that there needed to be more consistency throughout the organization, especially when it came to support and room for failure. What do you see when you analyze your organization? What do you do well? Where do you need to focus your improvement? Now let's talk about how you can build that foundation. Again, money is great, but what it really starts with is good leadership. You really have to show leadership. And if you don't have buy-in from leadership, it's extremely difficult to have a culture of innovation, right? If leadership is always interested on transactional, you know, how much have we raised, how, but not really how we, we do things and are we doing it differently? Are we thinking lots of the box? Are we positioning ourselves to be relevant, to add value, right? So I think the leadership piece is really key. And in some of my previous leadership role, I had to give cover to my team, say, look, go figure it out, go innovate, right? I'll, I'll protect you. I can get fired, that's, that's okay, but I'll protect you. <laughs> so leadership to really demonstrate this kind of culture of innovation, being willing to really take the risk, take a bet, and provide support and cover, for me, that's extremely important. That's a, a, an ingredient for success. You also want to avoid this culture of innovation is this shiny magic bullet. No, that's also a culture that we want to demystify, right? It's, it's innovation is ways of thinking, you know, ways of doing, and of course, ways of achieving concrete, tangible results, outcomes, impact at scale. Because again, we, are, we live in a world full of opportunities, of course, but a lot of challenges as well, right? So how do we bring different culture people together to work? So breaking down silos. So it's not just Oxfam or, you know, a vertical, but really be like, you know, horizontal and keep people in. So I think this culture is really key. For successful innovation to take place, it's essential to have leaders that are willing to take risks, understanding that innovation is not a magical solution to all problems. However, there's another critical ingredient to Latte's view of success, which ironically is failure, and more importantly, the ability to openly discuss failure. We we'll always talk about success. Okay, how much success do have we received? How much success? How much success? So in my previous role, again, I was... Uh, quite bold to talk to my CEO and say, look, can we start some failure talk from the top? So my CEO at that time was uh, receptive, lucky, and with colleagues, uh, we set up like the failure talk within the organization. So that was really, can we talk about that here? So that's something we, we started and it just opened up, you know, people, ah, yeah, we tried this. So for me, it's like failure is helping other organizations to avoid the same mistake, right? And wasting 
donor resources, right? If we can talk about failure, we can codify failure, we can share it across the sector. So people know that, oh, we already tried this. It doesn't work. This is the evidence. Please do something else. It takes less time to figure things out and move faster, actually. That's why Latte's approach to innovation is so rooted in encouraging discussions around failure. In Bangladesh, actually, we had a big project funded by the Gate Foundation and other. It was one of the flagship initiatives. Most of the time, you know, you, you see the money, you don't really step back to say, let's really have an evidence-based design. So we were, we were trying to really figure out how we make good on our commitments. How do you provide access to affordable and quality agriculture input for small-scale dairy farmers in Bangladesh. So we had to do a lot of trials and errors because we didn't really have time to do the proper data gathering and, and talk to the customer, being customer-centric, right? In the end, it was good. It was quite successful. But before we get there, it took a lot of learning. But also the quick uh, jump to say, oh, this work, let's take it to India, let's take it to Ethiopia, let's take it to Malawi, right? And I was like, let's let take it quickly. No, it doesn't work that way. So I've learned a lot. Let's step back. Contest is king. A model that works in one country, you may adapt it in another contest. It's really the push of, as a leader, you want to dream big, have impact at scale, without really you know, taking a step back to understand the context. And even sometimes small, start small is, is better than you know, big. So start small. And I had to leave at, at some point. We were trying to really push this model that we developed in Bangladesh into other countries, and it didn't work. We have some few other adaptation of that, but not the same model. So I think trying to be adaptive, context-specific, and evidence-based, to me, that's something that I've, I've learned as well. You know, you need the data. You need to, you know, look at the analytics and make sure that, you know, what you are doing is really set up for success as well, yeah. That piece about starting small is really important, especially for those leaders who let their excitement get ahead of them. Being innovative doesn't mean taking bold risks without considering the consequences. When your goal is to build an innovative culture and to convince leaders to invest in new ideas, you need to be responsible about the risks you take. The wrong risk resulting in the wrong point of failure can severely limit your organization's future tolerance for innovation and risk. That's why it's so important to start small and make incremental changes when you try something new. If it doesn't work, you move on to the next thing. But if it does work, you get to take a step further and see what happens next. Even at an organization with significant resource like Oxfam, Latte follows his own advice. We work in more than 60 countries, right? So there are some part of me, but also the leadership want to really go fast. But then just based on experience, let's start small. Let's not even do huge publicity because we know one failure can just kill the whole thing. We want to be thoughtful. So we say we wanted to start with few countries to really hone in on what we want to do, the methodology, the approach. And also we were committed to this uh, principle of being feminists and decoloniality, right? In our space now, there is a push for decolonizing aids and partnerships. So we focus on just few countries. So let, let go test the water with them 
get the leadership, get the buy-in before we go big. Don't blow it out at the beginning. Be balanced. And also some early wins can help. So starting small with some tangible opportunities and then use that as springboard to really learn but continue to improve. So we set up like sprint where we can go every 90 days to really review our strategic uh, manifesto and, and update that, right? Be ambitious, but also be realistic as much as possible so that you don't lose momentum. You don't, yeah, you don't shoot yourself. Uh, yeah, that's what we are trying to do. So many leaders struggle with taking that initial step of change, taking that initial risk, whether big or small. How do you overcome that and build something like Latte has? He offers some really helpful encouragement. The world is changing very fast. So is our sector as well. And our raison d'etre is being questioned, right? Uh, in terms of what value do we add in this world as nonprofits? Are we achieving impact at scale? So I would say innovation is definitely part of the solution. So how we do this is very important and how you make decisions as also, that's something we are looking into. So how do we make decisions? How do we share resources in a way that really speak to our values and our principles as Oxfam is, is key. But also be clear, innovation is not a magic bullet. It's not a new fashionable thing to do. So for those leaders, they really have to understand and be patient, 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 and be consistent as well. And for them to also learn to read and understand that innovation is a big, powerful tool, but it has weak side as well. So it's not a magic bullet. And they have to support me to support innovators within, give them room, be patient with them and be consistent with investments to make it happen. But it has proven I live it through myself and this is the way to go if we really want to add value and achieve impact at scale in this area of work we do. We've learned a lot of great things from Latte in this conversation, but there's an even bigger takeaway if you read between the lines, finding balance. It's important to realize the power of innovation, but also understand that it isn't a shiny magic bullet. You need to have faith and make some jumps, but you also need to ensure you're moving slowly enough to be strategic. You need to have room for failure, but you don't wanna fail so much that you shoot yourself in the foot for future projects. All of that means you have to be thoughtful about what you're doing. If you wanna move forward and be a leader of new ideas, you can't just throw around money and expect things to immediately come from it. But you also can't tell your team to be innovative and expect results without offering time and resource. You have to understand what you realistically have the capacity to do and make a game plan. It's also important to note another key thing Latte talked about. The world is complex and moving faster than ever. There are lots of new problems, exacerbated old problems, and new ways of thinking that challenge the ways we've done things for years. That means change is necessary if you want a productive future. So even if it's just on a small scale to start, it's imperative that you make room for risk, change, and innovation. I'm Ted Vaughn, and this is Future Nonprofit. If you want to hear more stories from experts in the industry to learn how to take your nonprofit into the future, subscribe to the podcast and visit makehistoric.com. Future Nonprofit is a production of Lower Street and Historic Agency. Produced by Jackie Lamport, Mark Miller, 
Ben Crannell, James Bladel, and Ted Vaughn. Written by Jackie Lamport and Katie Whitehorn. Edited by Ben Crannell. Visit futurenonprofit.com for a transcript of this episode. <laughs>